Hello, Parkinson's people, my fellow Parkies. I hope you don't mind that name. We've got to have a simple name, and I don't believe in taking myself too seriously. So I don't mind saying I'm a Parky. Or a better one is persons with Parkinson's, which could be PWP, awkward to type, or Parkinson's people. Well, I'm one of you, and I am starting this project now because I want to share what has worked for me and what could work for you. Let me talk to you a little bit about me and Parkinson's disease. I have no family history of it, and I saw a few cases in the 30 plus years that I practiced medicine. But in my retirement time, I had not given much of a thought to it. In fact, about 10 years ago, I read an article in the paper that said drinking lots of coffee, decaf or regular, reduces the chance of Parkinson's. And I thought, well, I'm a big coffee drinker. I come from Norwegian bachelor farmers, and boy, could we down the coffee. And so I thought I was going to be pretty good. Well, not so much. The next thing that, that occurred is now in retrospect were some non-motor symptoms at the time I didn't have a clue that's about eight years ago maybe nine I began to have bouts of just incredible god-awful constipation I mean oh heck we had to use dynamite almost to get it to break up also my sense of smell disappeared completely and then oh it's again it's about six years ago now, that uh, my wife and I noticed that when we pulled up to a stop sign or a red light or something, that my right thumb decided it would like to be tapping on the steering wheel. And I looked at it and thought, whose thumb is that tapping? I'm not trying to make my thumb tap. And that was my first clue. And I, I did entertain the idea of Parkinson's. Well, it wasn't much of a deal, so I didn't get too upset. And to understand this next step, you need to understand that doctors get very, very criticized for saying they want to be their own doctor. Well, I try to adhere to letting my doctor be my doctor. So I have an internal medicine doc. And when I saw him for my annual exam, and uh, I mentioned that I had this tremor appearing, and he did a deep, thorough examination that lasted 10 seconds and said, don't you worry about it. It's just an essential tremor. You all get it when you get old. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm not my doctor. He's my doctor. Now, eh, being board certified in psychiatry means that I'm certified by the Board of American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. And during my three-year residency, I had to do six months of training in neurology. So... I know a bit more about neurology than the average bear. The next thing that came up is that my wife and I had joined a health club and in the cold weather I was going to do some treadmill. I hate treadmills. I hate exercising indoors. And uh, so I like cranking it up fairly steep and so I don't have to go so fast but I can still get my heart rate up. Well, she began to chide me and say, you're leaning over like an old man. And I said, I'm going uphill. And not unlike the average person in a married couple, since she was my wife, I tended to uh, dismiss what she was saying. 
I'm sure you've never done anything like that with your own spouse or best friend. But anyway, I did. Then, after a number of months had gone by, we were walking. We, we tend to hike a lot. And I was walking in such a way that the sun was a little bit behind me and over my right shoulder. And I looked over to the left to see my shadow, and by God, I was tilted over. And as I watched that, I suddenly became aware my right arm was not swinging, and my right hand was pill-rolling like the Dickens. We stopped, and she said, I told you you've been leaning over. I believed her, and I came home and reviewed some medical stuff and said, I got Parkinson's. But I didn't know much about managing Parkinson's. I knew the basic stuff we're taught, but while I learned neurology, I never practiced neurology, so I didn't know very much. So I started educating myself. And then I said, okay, I'm not going to see my internist. I'm going to go and see a real-life neurologist. Well, the real-life neurologist happened to be somebody that I knew pretty well because we practiced in the same town and we shared patients. And so I went to him. And when I came in the office with my wife with me, I uh, sat down and he came in and said, Chris, what can I do for you? And I said, I've got Parkinson's disease. And he said, well, who diagnosed it? I said, I did. And well, let me see here. So he began to poke and prod and have me walk and move my fingers and everything like that. And then, and this is notable, in a serious and grave voice, he leaned forward and said to me this phrase, Chris, you do have Parkinson's disease. You need to understand it is progressive and degenerative. It will never get better. It will slowly get worse. But it could be a long time and you may well wind up dying of something else. That statement was uh, profound because this is a guy that's always been lighthearted with me. So it was the earnest tone of voice, the leaning forward, the furrowed brow, and the pronouncement that it is progressive and degenerative that I think started programming my mind. And I know program is the mind of everybody who gets diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I did ask him, what can I do? And he said this next thing, which was very important, exercise, exercise, exercise. Now, easy for him to say, because he's a real distance training athlete. Up in these Rocky Mountains, two or three times he's completed a 24-hour, 100-mile run. Now, that's a lot. I have, earlier in my life, and I mean 25, 30 years ago, ran a few marathons. But... Uh, of the last 15 years, no. Uh, I've done my general fitness. I haven't even run 5Ks or 10Ks. But I will say that I'm a little more fit than the average bear, but also I was overweight. Now, just to give you some background also before that is that in 2008, which was about the time that I first noticed my non-motor symptoms, I had a heart valve that required replacement, it was congenitally malformed. And so I had my aortic valve replaced. And then in the past, I've had three surgeries on my left knee. 
the first one, which was called fillet of knee. And then I also have a bad foot that's required surgery, and the surgery didn't work. What I'm getting to is that I wasn't able to exercise the way I wished, but I took his instructions to heart. We did talk about medication, and he said, I think we can not go ahead with the carbodopa levodopa, which is the standard medication for Parkinson's, at least not yet, because you're not doing so bad. So I was grateful for that, and he said, but we've got a new medicine out called Azelect. And Azelect is uh, a medicine which will slow the progression. And so, you know, you get on it and stay on it, and it might mean that you have a lot more years before your symptoms get a lot worse. And so I gratefully accepted the prescription, went home. The first shock I got was when I stopped at the pharmacy to fill the prescription that without my Medicare Part D or anything, uh, the prescription was going to cost me $635 a month. Wow, that's a lot of money. And even with all of my prescription assistance, it was still going to be $340 a month. Again, that's a lot of money. You were talking about four grand a year. That's a lot of money. But I went on ahead and uh, started taking it. What I did notice is that in the two months I took it that my mouth became so dry I couldn't speak and my pocket, my billfold was getting a lot thinner and I read the research on it and the research showed that populations of people taking this drug statistically showed a slower progression. But that means there are a lot of people that took the drug that it didn't slow the progression at all. I stopped it, but I almost digressed. Let's go back. He said, exercise, exercise, exercise. And I sat down at my table that night, my kitchen table, with a pen and paper, and I said, what am I going to do? I said, well, exercise right now. I, I tend to walk and power walk. And living in these Rocky Mountains, I do a lot of uphill hiking at a real good pace. I mean, I've had my heart rate as high as 152, which at my age is a hell of a good deal. And then I said, um, I think I want to get stronger. And so I said, I'm going to take up some weight training. And then probably the wisest decision I've made in a decade, I said, I think yoga should be good. And I had never done a day of yoga in my life. And the next day, Shortly after my 70th birthday, I went to my first yoga class. And that changed my life a lot. Over the coming year, I noticed that I was doing better. Oh, incidentally, I did take two other medication trials. I tried a drug called amantadine, because amantadine is supposed to help with your tremor. And at night, the right side of my body tended to be pretty damn jerky. You know, right arm, right leg, right right everything. And it was disturbing. So I started taking some of the medication. And it did help somewhat. But after about two months, I noticed that it didn't seem to help as much. I quit it. And then there is the uh, literature out there that said, you know, one of the ways people diagnose Parkinson's disease is to take carbidopa levodopa, known as Cinemet. So I got a prescription for that because it said that if it's right for you, you take it and your tremor will get a lot better real fast. Well, I did a couple days. My tremor didn't get go 
get better a lot faster. I was impatient and I stopped. So in essence, I ceased all medication before I had had the disease diagnosed for six months. I continued to do my yoga. At the end of the first year, I decided that weightlifting probably was not a good thing because I realized that weightlifting can strengthen muscles. That's nice and make your body look prettier. Mine didn't, but it doesn't involve movement and everything about Parkinson's is movement. And so I talked to my professional trainer. I don't spend a lot of time with him, but he's been very helpful. And he introduced me to high intensity interval training, also known as Tabata. And this was a departure from things I'd done before because Tabata requires that you get really short of breath and you work out pretty hard. So my program was uh, distance, walking as swiftly as I could and wanting to maintain my proper posture and arm swing, yoga four days a week, and high intensity workouts twice a week. About that time, I was doing better. And I started a website entitled sweatingoutpd.com. And at that time, my hypothesis was this, that if you work out enough so that you sweat, you get better because I was by this time, definitely getting better. I was not on medicine and my right arm was doing much better as far as walking. My, my gait, my posture was really much better. At night, my uh, tremor was limited mostly to about my right hand and nothing else. I wish I could say that my sense of smell came back and that I wasn't constipated, but no, they were the same, very irritating. And I also developed a new symptom, which was urge incontinence which means when you gotta go, you gotta go, because if you don't go as fast as you gotta go, you're gonna pee your pants, which happened to me a couple times. Hmm. Well, I made this website, and the whole purpose of my website was to encourage others, people with Parkinson's disease, to see what I had accomplished and what I hoped they realized they could do. Okay, we fast forward here to the past year. In the past year, I began to have some doubts. I said, do I really have Parkinson's? I am doing better than anybody I know. And by this time, I'd become the director of the um, Parkinson's support group in my county in northern Colorado. And we had you know, 30 to 40 people there. And so I had a good chance to see others and compare. And there's no question I was doing so much better. And I asked my neurologist, who was getting set to retire, should I get a DAT scan? Now, a DAT scan is a type of brain imaging test, which, when it is positive, is said to be consistent with Parkinson's disease. However, it's not used as a diagnostic tool. But if you've got Parkinson's symptoms, and I still did, of course, and you have the DAT scan, and the DAT scan is positive, you have Parkinson's. My dad scan was positive. Okay, so I'm at this point thinking I'm doing really a lot better. And I then volunteered to be in a clinical study down at the University of Colorado Medical School. I'd already participated in a couple clinical trials, things that I could do from home. 
And this trial was about people who have Parkinson's and develop some cognitive problems. Well, I've always been a pretty bright guy, and I was beginning to think I wasn't so bright anymore. In fact, I thought I was beginning to get a little stumbly. So I volunteered to be a subject in this study for people with Parkinson's who might show early signs of memory problems or even early signs of dementia. I worry ward, I'm sure I am. Well, I got worked up for a whole day, and I mean worked up. So many brain scans, so many studies, so many psychological tests, physical exams, the whole nine yards. Bottom line was, the researcher there said to me the following, you definitely have Parkinson's disease, and we can't accept you in the study because you show no cognitive decline. Well, that was good news. I'll take that. But it was another reaffirmation that I definitely have Parkinson's. Well, then, I have a friend. Yeah, <laughs> really, I do. I've got a friend. i got a few. And this friend is a retired professor of neuroscience at Colorado State University. His name is Dr. Howard Nornis. And he has always been studying the intricacies of the brain. And though he's retired and in his mid-80s, he still keeps up with the literature. So he and I sat down for a talk on his patio with a couple glasses of Cabernet Sauvignon. And I discussed my thoughts with him because he had introduced me to the concept of neuroplasticity. And as he listened, he said, Chris, I think you're better because of neuroplasticity. Now, the last neurologist I saw at the med school when I said, why am I doing so much better, was somewhat dismissive and uninterested, and he said, oh, it must be the exercise. And that's all. Howard directed me to the writings of, of Dr. Norman Deutsch, D-O-I-D-G-E. And Dr. Deutsch has a um, couple books out on neuroplasticity. And one of the books relates the story of John Pepper, a person with Parkinson's living in South Africa who managed to get himself off all medications and credited paying attention to his movement and walking as being the elements of making him so much better. You will hear more about him because I'll be interviewing him in the near future and you can hear his story. Well, I uh, saw that people were, could get better who'd been diagnosed with Parkinson's. I mean, he, got, he was on meds and got off. Well, I looked up Dr. Deutsch on the internet, and he's located in Toronto. He's also on the staff of medical school, I think, in New York City, Columbia. But lo and behold, he was coming to Denver, Colorado, to speak in a week at a conference. In a heartbeat, I signed up for that conference because I wanted to meet him. I went to the conference, and he was the keynote speaker. And uh, I sat down and... He gave the first half of his keynote, which was very interesting. He's a good speaker and lots of good information. And then the break. At that point, I stood up and walked my gait, my good straight-up posture and with virtually no tremor or anything, and walked up and said to him, Dr. Doidge, my name is Dr. Chris Hackerseth. I am 75. I have Parkinson's disease, but I do not take any medication. He dropped his pen. He said, let me see you walk toward me again. I walked away, walked toward him. And he said, you don't take any medication? I said, no. Did you? And I said, well, when I was first diagnosed. And he asked me several more questions. And then I said, well, let me show you what I can do. And I went down and 
did a couple yoga moves. Downward facing dog, three-legged dog, planks. And his eyes were like saucers. And he said, would you mind if I used you as a demonstration for the second half of my talk? So to the assembled group, he introduced me. I showed what I can do. And I was met with a lot of applause. And after his talk was over, he said to me, could I interview you and take a video of the interview? I said, yes. So then we uh, actually, in his hotel room, he took a video of me and interviewed me. And his conclusion was, yes, I have experienced neuroplasticity as a result of the practices that I've been proceeding with ever since my diagnosis. And he agreed that he had not seen anybody do as well as I am doing, who had Parkinson's for this long and was not taking medication. Wow. Then I began to think that I really should share my success because if I can help other Parkinson's people to do better, then that's a new calling. It's like practicing medicine, but I'm not practicing medicine. I'm just going to teach people and consult with people and talk to people. And I redid my website and I went to work. The things that I concluded, number one, is that the first thing that must change is the belief system about Parkinson's. I did that on my night at the kitchen table. I rejected the words progressive and degenerative. I then dedicated myself to a physical program and really did it. And in my case, I think yoga was absolutely critical. And I realized that if I'm going to help others with Parkinson's, I have to, number one, work with their mind and their attitude toward the disease. And then I have to encourage them to make their life include practices of not just exercise, but of things like yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong or whatever you want. So that's where I am today. I have started counseling people. I have, I have persons with Parkinson's throughout the United States, Canada. I got one in Canada, one in the Netherlands, and one in Australia. I realize I'm doing some really good stuff for people. I love it. I have found that the people that I'm working with are hungry just to have a doctor they can discuss their illness with. Not one who is on a time schedule. Not one who sees the solution as being medication, not one who doesn't take time to listen, to learn who they are as a real person. So now I start. This is my first recording, and I'm going to go on ahead and do what I've just said I'm going to do. In closing, I want to talk to you briefly about Google, the search engine Google. A number of years ago, 2005, I had finished up a job I had doing research in antidepressant drugs and was currently not practicing. I had been impressed that when I was doing the research for antidepressants, how many people sought antidepressants and therefore sought the research because they couldn't afford to see a damn psychiatrist because they were charging $300 for a first visit. That's bullshit. I never did that back when I practiced psychiatry. And so I did something that was not ethical, but I did it with an intention that was, that was proper. And that is, 
I wanted to get antidepressants to people via the internet who needed refills and couldn't afford to see the doctor. And I did. I did prescribe over the internet for people who were requesting refills on antidepressants who said they could not afford to see the doctor. I never ever issued a new prescription, a common prescription that this company provided for me to approve of was Viagra because so many men would rather were embarrassed to talk to their doctor. And in the six, seven months that I did this, on three separate occasions, I got letters back that said, you saved my life. And one in particular from Alabama, a woman said, my mother has dementia and I am her sole caretaker and we live on less than 700 a month and I was about to kill myself and her. I got on Prozac and we're much better, God bless. But something bad happened. A young man, alcoholic, wrote in and said that he needed a refill for Prozac. It turned out he was lying and he had never taken Prozac before. I supplied him with some Prozac. Two months later, he committed suicide. And when they uh, did the investigation, they found a prescription bottle with my name on it. And that was a bad deal. By the way, all that talk a number of years ago that people taking antidepressants commit suicide statistically doesn't hold water. But anyway, the state of California was going to get me for what they call wrongful death, which is a big deal. That's almost like manslaughter. But when, I was exam when they examined everything medically, they found out he had no Prozac in his system. He was alcoholic. He was severely drunk. And they concluded that my prescription did nothing to cause his death. But the state of California decided that my case should be one that creates new law. And in that case, they said that I was practicing medicine in California without a California medical license. I pled guilty and they sentenced me to three years probation and nine months in jail. You will see that if you Google my name, Christian Hackaseth. If I was named John Smith and had the same history, you would never find me because John Smith is a common name and Christian Hagaseth, well, there's only my son and myself and that's the only ones in the world. Okay, well, I, I did wrong and I wound up doing house arrest instead of jail because of my heart. And uh, also then the case was revisited later and it was ordered that the charges be reversed that my record be expunged, and that there is no longer any record of my doing anything wrong. And that's the case if you go to the California medical records. But if you go to the internet, the internet and herpes are the same. They're forever. And so you'll see bad stuff about me. This is my one-time explanation, and I will get on now doing what I want to to help others and if that past event dissuades you from seeking any, any help from me, I understand. And I say good luck to you. <sighs> Got it off my chest, everybody. My recordings aren't going to be this long, but since this is the first time that we meet, I felt it was important to tell you my whole story. My very next recording is going to be a different subject altogether. Does cannabis, marijuana, help Parkinson's disease? Bye-bye, all.